from Madison, Wisconsin in the United States of Global Hegemony, it's Didactic Syncast, with your host Eric P. And welcome to the Didactic Syncast, your overview of everything important on the planet Earth. I'm Eric S. Piotrowski, a.k.a. Duke Scath in the world of video games and Twitter, a.k.a. Scartol in the world of Wikipedia and Reddit. Today is Saturday, 24th of January, 2015. Yeah! On this show, I bring you a range of news stories, historical and literary perspectives, and my opinions on topics like current events, war, human rights, economics, education, hip-hop, music, and killer robots. So buckle up and let's get started. A little bit better than dope is. A brand new kid to show biz. With knowledge, I persevere. But if I now do me a favor, favor. favor. let me in here. Then we can find a rhyme to fill in space and drop the bass with a taste of light. Hey, it's a new semester. This is actually the weekend right before a new semester starts. And uh, that's always a crazy time for me because it's actually the time of the year other than summer when I have absolutely nothing weighing on my mind. I got the room all set up uh, for the next next class that's coming in. I got four new classes and one class that was, was still with me from first semester. And I have to get these. Okay, so when the students, this is a little insight into the way my classroom works. Ready? Brace yourselves, people. So um, when the students come in, I assign random seats by giving them a card with the author's an, the name of an author on it, and then they have to find the matching card with that author's name on a desk. So I hand them a card that says, you know, Chino Achebe, and most of them they just go, what? It's not my name. And I say, this is a test. You're being watched. And so they have to figure it out. And at first they're a little frustrated, but eventually they get it. And sometimes people will help each other out or whatever it is. Um... So I have the, if I don't get those cards down, then I always have this nightmare that students are coming in and I don't know where they're going to be sitting. And I'm just like, no, don't come in yet. Oh, my God, I don't have the cards ready. So I have those cards taped down. What? Um, yeah. And even over winter break and spring break, like it's good to have a lot of days off then, but I always have papers to grade during those breaks. So it's always in the back of my mind. You got those papers to grade. You got those papers to grade. But this weekend, I don't have nothing to grade. I got all my grades in and it's just like, yeah. So it's a really good feeling and I'm always excited to start a new semester. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be a good semester, I think. The take action for this episode is uh, from Amnesty International. Stop the flogging of Saudi Arabian blogger Raif Badawi. Uh, this dude wrote on a blog about we should have more openness in Saudi Arabian society. And so the Saudi government has sentenced him to ten to 1,000 lashes and 10 years imprisonment. And that's totally messed up. Talk about freedom of speech. If we're going to stand up for freedom of speech around the world, then we need to demand that Saudi Arabia stop this nonsense. And they lashed him 50 times, and then they were going to lash him another 50 the next week, but he hadn't healed up from the first 50. So they're like, we'll postpone it. And it's so ridiculous and stupid and horrible. So take action now. There's a link on my website, fbesp.org slash synapse. And, um, yeah, it's just, ah, you got to take action, man. It's totally messed up. Come on, man. I sound like a 13-year-old. you got to take some action, man. Come on. What are you doing? Let's talk about some current There's no good outside the door. Alright, so we're going to start with Charlie Hebdo, and, and I, you know, as soon as I put the last 
Syncast uh, out, this terror attack in Paris happened, and I'm sure a million other people have said things much more effectively than I ever could about how horrible it is, and how disgraceful and stupid and pathetic and violent and hideous and wrong and disgraceful um, it is. And, and lest anybody have this attitude of like, oh, why don't Muslims speak out against this more? First of all, they did, so it's totally stupid if you have that attitude, because you just don't hear about um, Muslims speaking out against it. There's been plenty of Muslims speaking out against it. Um, but I, I thought there was a really interesting uh, interview on Democracy Now! with a guy named Tariq Ramadan, and uh, he was on with a guy from Harper's Magazine named Rick MacArthur about the Charlie Hebdo attack, and Tariq Ramadan had a very interesting, nuanced perspective. So I want to play a little bit of that right now. Yes. Um, we begin with Tariq Ramadan. Uh, can you respond to what has taken place, the attack on the uh, magazine and what has ensued over these last hours? Thank you first for giving me the, 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 the time to respond to, to, to what we are listening to these days. And I think, as uh, I repeated, we have to condemn what is happening and nothing can justify uh, uh, what happened and the killing of uh, uh, the cartoonists and, and, and now the police officer in France. Uh, what is important for us is to make it clear that we stand by our principles. And while I was uh, debating, you know, the journalists in France about the cartoons and the way they were uh, coming to uh, uh, nurturing controversies about, you know, insulting the, uh, the, the, the prophet, insulting Islam. I made it clear from the beginning, this is your freedom to do so. I don't think it's good. I don't think it's, uh, it's uh, uh, an intelligent and decent way to, to deal with freedom of expression, but you need to be protected as to, to your right to do it. And I said to the Muslims, by the way, in the States as well as everywhere, even in the Muslim-majority countries, that we need to get it right, that uh, we are not going to convince our fellow human beings or fellow citizens uh, that we are a religion of dignity and, and freedom and responsibility if we start by censorship. That's not the way it has to be, neither in the West nor in Muslim-majority countries. Now, the point is that we stick to our principles, and there is a second principle that I want to make it make clear, uh, make it clear about here. It's really for all of us. While we are shocked by what is happening in the West and the killing of. Uh, of uh, uh, cartoonists or uh, innocent people. We should stand also by the same principles when it comes to things that are happening around the world in Muslim majority countries, because the most uh, uh, important you know, number of victims uh, uh, of violent extremism are Muslims in Muslim majority countries. And very often we are, you know, you have a government saying we are not counting uh, bodies where they are dropping, you know, bombs on people. And then we are shocked by other things. So I think that our principles also should be we stick to our principle, innocence in innocence and the dignity of any life. It's the same dignity and there is no difference. So he goes on and there's a lot of other things that he says. And I really like the nuance there of his perspective. And so, yeah, uh, and I, I would, you know, they had Tariq Ali on, on Democracy Now! And he's a really important scholar and he's got a lot of important things to say. But, you know, when they asked him to talk about the Charlie Hebdo killings, he started right in with Islamophobia in Europe. And, you know, I understand that it's uh, a context out of which terrorism grows. Yes, that's true. However, I think that starting right away with, well, you know, there's a lot of Islamophobia in Europe is not the way to react. I think that this guy... Um, um, 
Tariq Ramadan did a very good job of reacting in a in an intelligent, nuanced way. And I think his point about you know we don't hear about the innocent civilians killed by you know flying robots is an important one because we should be outraged by the killings of Charlie Hebdo and and we should also be outraged by the killings of innocent men and women and children um, by flying robots. And, and, and during that interview, uh, Ramadan says over and over again that we all have the right to say whatever we want to say. And then he asks whether it's wise or appropriate to say anti-Islamic things. And this reminds me of Chris Rock, who once said, you know, I can drive with my feet, too. It doesn't make it a good idea. Which brings me to my first ever interview. Oh, my God, you're witnessing history right here on the Syncast. Because uh, my buddy, uh, Chinny, who does the uh, Veteran Gamers video game podcast with me, uh, got in touch with me right after the Charlie Hebdo killings, and he said, I'd love to talk to you about it, uh, maybe on the show. So I was like, yes, why not? Let's do some discussions. Uh, let's record it, and we'll play it. So let me go ahead and play this discussion I had with my friend Mike Chin right now. All right, so now we've got a special guest, everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, please welcome Mike Chin from the Veteran Gamers. He wants to talk a little bit about this thing that happened in Paris. So welcome, uh, Chinny. Hello, hello. Uh, this is weird that I'm on your show. Well, well it's, it's good to have you here, man. I've thought about wanting to bring some people on and have other discussions with people. So, who better to have as our initial guest? Yes. Well, the thing, is, the reason why I, I messaged you, right? I was watching, I was watching the news, and I, I was seeing all that happen, and I, I just like the only person I sort of want to put my opinion across to is you, dude. Okay. Right. Um, because you know, I, I always think of that. There's a GIF. On, on Reddit or a GIF, whichever way you say it, of yeah. Forrest Gump saying, I am not a smart man. Right. <laughs> so when I when I watch these things, that's sort of what I think. You know, I, I listen to your show, do you, you know, I, I, you're talking about things and they're going in, right? But I'm like, I would never know anything about this stuff, right? I would never read a point about this stuff. And and what I want to say about it is, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, or if you think... Well, I will I always wrong. correct everyone when they're wrong. You never need job. to say that to me. <laughs> But right, and it's it's tragic. Don't get me wrong. The people of that course. did this are idiots, of and the, you know the, the, they're, they're terrible, terrible people. And the the the, the victims, uh, I feel sorry for for their families, and it, it's so tragic, right? Yeah. And I do believe that nothing is sacred. Like nothing, you know, you can take the the Mickey out of anything, sure, and sure. it should be fine. But right, the example I would say is like I think right. My opinion is Christianity is dumb. Right, I think it's a waste of time. Have you heard the silly. Negative Land song? Christianity is stupid. No, I you should check that out. It's a funny. I'll song. check it out. But like, you know, I just sort of think it's a bit silly. You know, like these sure. people are like, you know, they're shaking and they're seeing God, and I just sort of roll my eyes every time I see it. A burning bush but, and a talking snake. What are you talking about? What's silly about that? But but I don't go up to somebody that's Christian and start making doodles, uh, you know, and make you know of God. And you know, and and keep going on about it like it's some big. See, you know, I don't kick the hornet's nest, as right. it were. All right. If somebody's Christian, all right, and and they 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 look at me like I'm silly, like oh my god, you don't believe in God, like you're you're stupid, you know, right. you, you're going to hell. All right. Fine. All right. Don't you think they kick the hornet's nest a little bit too much? Well, I definitely think they kicked the hornet's nest a lot. And one of them actually said, I saw some comment that he made, which was, you know, somebody had asked him, like, are you worried about people coming after you? And this was incredibly sad in terms of how prescient it was. But he said, and I don't have the quote right in front of me, but it's basically, you know, look, I don't have a family. I don't have wife. I don't have children. Uh, He said, I think he said, I don't even own a car. So if they want to come after me, you know what? Uh, You know, it's not going to affect anybody else but me. Um, 
and I think that that means that they knew that they were, you know, they were aware of the danger. Um, and I think that um, that doesn't mean they shouldn't have made the cartoons that they made. But the way I look at it is that, you know, there are some sick people with some serious mental problems. And when those people have guns and have announced their desire to use them, I feel like, you know, there's a Far Side cartoon once upon a time where it said, you know, there was a picture of a, a wolf baring its teeth and a dog like snarling. And then there was like a cat with its you know back all up. And then there yeah. was a man in a trench coat with like an inflatable alligator wrapped around his waist and a submachine gun. And the caption said, how nature tells us do not touch. Right. And I always think of that when I think about people who are intentionally trying to be provocative especially with regard to people who have made it clear that they don't have a sense of humor and they're willing to commit murder in terms of responding to these cartoons. Now, that said, you know, it's it, it it's the type of thing where, you know, I think this type of incident challenges our resolve as people who believe in free speech because, you know, there's a question between do you have the right to do it and is it a good idea? And, of course, yeah. Chris Rock said, you know, I can drive with my feet too. That doesn't yeah. make it a good idea. That, I'll use that example all the time sure you know someone says oh this is yeah i could drive with my feet but it's not a good idea to <laughs> right. do it right, right. like it, it surely I, you know and i don't want to say they deserved it of course not because you know i see what they're getting at but there's yeah. a lot of crazy people out there yeah there's just they're gonna take it the wrong way and that one guy who says i don't have a car i have a wife it, you know as long as they only affect me but it doesn't affect only just you your work friends and right. now the whole nation Sure. Like, it affects the whole nation. Oh, sure. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, this is one of those sad instances where, you know, I think that Islam is, is really in a dark place right now because it has been, you know, certain parts of Islam. Of course, we know that this is only a very fringe element of the Muslim community. It's been hijacked by this Wahhabist Salafist sect out of Saudi Arabia. And once the influence of this group of people wanes, uh, that you know, fanaticism and hysteria will be lessened. And I think it's very hard for us to f combat it um, because they're willing to kill over cartoons, and that's pathetic, and that's sad, and there's really no easy way to say, well, here's how we deal with this, because it's an it's evidence of people who are mentally ill. And, uh, you know, I personally, if I were running a magazine, yeah, I would avoid, you know, sort of kicking that hornet's nest, as you put it. I think that's a really good way to put it. Um, I, 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 the other thing is, I feel really sorry for people who are muslim living in france right now oh yeah that are not stupid right oh, sure. you know <laughs> that are not yeah. just mentally ill right right and don't flip out over a cartoon of course that doesn't mean anything and i saw because... someone on reddit they said you know my parents are pretty strict muslims and you know they were probably offended by the cartoons but they're 10 times more offended by the killings done in the name of the prophet muhammad um, there's a great line in the TV show Oz where this Muslim um, imam in a, in a prison says, you know, somebody starts to fight about, you know, someone's insulting the, the prophet and this other guy starts a fight. And so this imam goes to him and says, look, Allah does not need you to protect him from an idiot. And I think that's yeah. a great response to this sort of thing. So. Yeah. You know, like, wouldn't they get further if they just went, that's not cool? Right. Of course. Like, now, wouldn't they get just... Yeah, of Come course. On. Now, the flip side of that is, you know, look, there are 
I would imagine, and you know, I've heard from Muslims in Europe that feel as though they're under attack on a constant basis because people assume that they are exactly like the people who carry out this kind of terrorist attack. And there's a yeah. there's a tendency that we have to you know sort of mix the extremist you know sectors of Islam with every Muslim on the planet, and that is exhausting and it's horrible and it's something that should not happen. Um, but you're right; it doesn't do the vast majority of Muslims any good when people make that stereotype come to life. Yeah, it's it's I, I'm you know uh, it's not quite on the same scale, but like we, me, you, and I, Duke, we play a lot of video games, oh, sure. right? And and so when you see in the news, like, oh, some some guy killed a lot of people, and he said that Call of Duty told him to right, do it, right? All right, it's not on the same scale. It's 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 much. It's it's you know it's a bit yeah. different. I suppose religion right. it's it's a bit of a different topic, but I'm sure they feel the same way. They just go, oh god, like yeah. you're making I'm us look to bad. Do all this and... nice stuff, you know. I'm trying to, you know, it, the, 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 the thousands millions of muslims just doing great things yeah being nice people of and course. then just a couple spoil the party and it's just yeah. so frustrating for them oh, sure. and I, I, i'm just i'm just sitting there thinking like they they was doing freedom of speech they was drawing it because you know like to to, to say against them but right they don't you know what about the other people that don't do anything like and it's funny i think i probably had said this earlier in this episode but you know there's before we start recording this interview but there was a, uh, I heard some discussion with people talking about the nature of that magazine, and they, someone asked them, what is closest to this magazine in the United States? Would you say it's like The Onion or Mad Magazine? And the person said, no, Mad and The Onion don't go as far as Charlie uh, Hebdo did, so or does. Um, and they said the closest I would say is uh, South Park. Because South Park, you know, is always, you know, try, like you say, kicking the hornet's nest. They're always trying yeah. to stir up trouble. And again, when it comes to radical Islam, they did an episode where they showed the Prophet Muhammad's face and they were trying yeah. to provoke a reaction. So that's kind of the way this magazine functions, too. And they, you know, again, I think in the case of South Park, they go in with their eyes open. They know the risks that entail with that. And I think the important thing is that with South Park, they know to be an equal opportunity offender. Like they don't you know, just go after Muslims or just go after Christians or just go after this or just go after that. They poke as much fun of themselves yeah, and people they, like they them as they do They pick a fight with else. everyone evenly, oh, sure. I think. Right. But, the, the, but I, I sort of get the sense that this magazine have done it multiple times. Am I right? Oh, or yeah. Is that... no, that's, that's, that's definitely true. And I just think that, come on. Like, did, did, I don't know if you spoke about it, but have you heard, did you know about, and I'm assuming you do because you're much smarter than I am, about the, the whole Jewish thing that they did? Oh, yeah. And they got, have you spoke about this? Uh, no, I haven't. Because you know they 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 provoked like they 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 did something that 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 would have like been sort of anti-Jewish, right? You know, mm, and, sure. and someone got fired over it. Yep. Whereas no one gets fired for this, it's right? Like, and that's on, like... that's an important point that we you know and and uh, there was a guy on um, Democracy Now who I, I I have played a little clip of this guy. He has a lot of good points to make about you know if you're gonna if you like you said if you're gonna be um, offending people, you, you've got to be absolutely certain that you don't have double standards going on and that yeah. you don't come down harder on one, you know, you don't say there's limits of freedom of speech when it comes to one group when, and then you don't say that with another group. So. Exactly. I mean, like, you, you can't fire that person over doing something sort of anti-Jew if you're going right. to let right. people get away with Exactly. You know, if you're a free speech, and that's the thing, if you're a free speech fundamentalist, you have a really tough perspective because you know the way I started thinking about it was you know to set up a really extreme analogy. If some family 
had their six-year-old child abducted and like you know sexually assaulted and then like cut into pieces and like their body parts were scattered all over town like that's a horrifying scenario right if some you know satirist then the next day made a cartoon that poked fun at that family Again, like, do they have the right to do it? Well, maybe yeah. that's the free speech fundamentalist. If you believe in the free speech 100%, like, you can't say that that cartoonist doesn't have the right to do that. But he totally shouldn't. He should have the good taste to recognize that that's not a good idea. So, again, there's that question that always lingers about, you know, yeah, like, what's a good idea? And, and to what extent are you adding to a culture of hostility that a lot of people might feel being, you know, members of this sort of outsider group within the larger European hegemonic society. Yeah. I, 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 it was just something that, I, I mean, you know, I, I'm not a very serious person. I don't yeah, take yeah. many things seriously. But I was looking at this thing and just seeing this blatantly obvious flaw. And it's like, because the, the thing is now, like, uh, and again, tragic for the families that have died. Course, it's like horrible, right. horrible yeah. stuff. Yeah. But they're, 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 you know, they're martyrs now. You know, they're like, yeah, oh my sure. God, they're, 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 it's like, hang on. They did kind of do that. They, that you know they they were offending people and it, it's it's like you can't just say oh they were absolutely right in doing this you've got to question it it was just an obvious sort of like flaw in the whole thing and they, it's it's the and, type of thing where yeah I, I would say that you know they knew what they were like i said they knew what they were doing when they went in um and i think that they were willing to endure whatever consequence happened and it doesn't make the consequence any more justified or anything like you said um i i i just think that they you know, in the long run, could they probably have done more good without going this far and, you know, living to tell about it? Maybe. But I think that it's, you know, I, I stand with those who say that, you know, this the, the majority of my outrage is for the people who did it. And um, I think that it's really sick. And, and we have to find ways to fight against this kind of radicalization um, because it goes much deeper than just individuals. You know, some people want to take it as a military thing. We got to go after the radicals and drop bombs on them from flying planes and whatever. But I think we have to, you know, in the same way that we have to stop young people from joining gangs by giving them a viable alternative for their lives. So too, do we have to approach that question about young, you know, Muslims who then become radicalized because they feel like their religion is so under attack that they don't have any choice. So yeah, they're young, they're angry, right? And like they, you know. They think yeah. this is the best way to do it. Maybe. Right, right. It's sad. It it's is. Tragic, it's, it's very it's, sad. It's, 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 I just wanted to confirm with you. It's like, I'm thinking this. Sure. Is this okay? Like, sure. <laughs> am I okay to question the people that yeah. drew those and things? And you know what? Like I always say, if people have differing opinions, we'd love to hear about it. I think, you know, if nothing else, I want this show to be a way for people to engage in discussion. And, you know, um, even if we disagree, we can find ways to sort of come at trying to focus on the specific bits of things that we disagree with or where our principles conflict or whatever it is. So if you have any questions or you want to respond please write into the show thank you very much for being here chinny not a problem thank you for having me all right so there it is the first actually that's not the first interview i realized uh, i interviewed uh, adam sherborne a while ago so uh yeah anyway um <clears throat> you know there have been some discussions that took place after i talked to chinny uh, about that stuff um these discussions that took place people were saying Oh, and including Tom Tomorrow, who's a really good cartoonist. He does a cartoon called This Modern World, and he was making fun of the Yeah But uh, Brigade, or maybe that wasn't his phrase, but somebody was talking about that. But I know Tom Tomorrow criticized this notion that, like, yeah, people will speak out against the killings, but then they'll say, oh, but, you know, they were kind of asking for it or whatever it is. And 
And I, it's not fair to say they were asking for it, obviously, and, and we don't wish to blame the victims here. And certainly the cartoonists are victims. Uh, I just, I, I, I can't speak for Cheney, but I feel like it, it's never a case where free speech fundamentalism is without complexity. So anyway, um, the, one of the most interesting stories that came out of this, another interesting story that came out of this was um, a kosher grocery employee, uh, a Muslim, was hailed as a hero for hiding customers. Most of you have probably heard about this, but in case you haven't, a young Muslim man is being hailed as a hero in French newspapers and social media for his actions during Friday's deadly hostage situation in a Paris supermarket. So uh, the, to the people who did the shootings went then and took some hostages in a supermarket and somewhere else, I don't know the other location, but um, Lasana Bathili, an employee at the Hyper Caché supermarket in Kosher supermarket in Vincennes, helped guide a group of hostages into a downstairs walk-in freezer while gunman Amadi Koulibaly was allegedly preparing to kill them, according to French television station BFM TV. Bathili, a practicing Muslim, says he entered the freezer with some people, then switched off the freezer and the light and told everyone to stay calm, according to BFM TV. I'm, quote, I'm the one who's going to go out, he reportedly told them. I took the elevator and went upstairs. Uh, Koulibaly told us all to come upstairs, otherwise he would kill everyone who was downstairs. Uh, this young man, age 24, said to the network, and since then, I understand he's been given citizenship uh, in France, and I think that's awesome. And, uh, yeah, just a really cool story of heroism and courage. And, um, yeah, I think that it's it's important for us to recognize that he is one of a large group of people from Mali and, and other parts of uh, Northern Africa and the Middle East who come to Europe seeking a better life and often get stuck in pretty menial jobs if they can even find work. And the idea of him getting French citizenship is great, but I think it shouldn't require risking your life trying to stop people from being murdered by terrorists before you are given some dignity as a person in Europe if you're fleeing poverty, war, whatever. Meanwhile, on Democracy Now!, also they had an interview with Jeremy Scahill, which was really interesting, and he was talking about the circus of hypocrisy, uh, about how world leaders at the Paris March opposed press freedom. So while I'm queuing this up, let me say that they had this march in Paris after the killings with all these world leaders, and it was a very important point that Scahill's making about how they're supposedly taking a stand for press freedom, but then in their home countries there's all this clamping down on press freedom, including Saudi Arabia, as I mentioned. So let me play a clip from the army. Jeremy, welcome back to Democracy Now! Let's talk about this latest news out of France. Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, um, you know, what we saw yesterday on display, uh, on the one hand, was very heartening to see so many people come into the streets. And, you know, the, one of the core issues of, of, of press freedom, if this, if this is a moment where the whole world is saying um, we have to have a free press, and that uh, no matter how controversial or hateful uh, some of the speech is, uh, or may be interpreted in some communities, that um, you know we, we judge a free press by how we treat the journalists or the stories that we, we don't like or that we're offended by. Um, but on the other hand, this is a sort of a circus of hypocrisy when it comes to all of those world leaders who were marching at the front of it. Um, I mean, every single one of those heads of state or representatives of governments there have waged their own wars um, against journalists. You know, David Cameron ordered the Guardian to smash with a hammer uh, the hard drives that stored the files of NSA whistleblower uh, Edward Snowden. Um, blasphemy is considered a crime in Ireland. 
um, you had multiple African and Arab leaders whose uh, own countries right now have scores of journalists in prison. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu's government in Israel has uh, targeted for killing um, numerous journalists who have reported on the Palestinian side uh, have uh, kidnapped, abducted, jailed journalists. Um, you know, there's this controversy right now. Why didn't President Obama go, or why didn't Joe Biden go? You know, Eric Holder was there already and, started, and was representing the United States. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, uh, you know we should remember, uh, and I was saying this on Twitter over the weekend, that Yemen should have sent the Yemeni journalist Abdullah Haider Shia. Who, as their representative. He, of course, was in prison for years on the direct orders of President Obama for having reported on secret U.S. strikes in Yemen that killed scores of civilians. Or Sudan should have sent Sami al-Hajj, the, uh, the uh, Al Jazeera uh, cameraman who was held for six years without charge in Guantanamo and repeatedly interrogated um, by U.S. operatives who were intent on proving that Al Jazeera had some sort of a link to al-Qaeda. So, again, I could play the whole thing, and you should watch the whole thing. Jeremy Scahill is an amazing journalist, and you should totally take heed to his words, but we do need to move on. Meanwhile, the first cover after the terror attacks uh, depicted the Prophet Muhammad again, and as everybody knew it would, but the remarkable thing for me is what it said with it. Uh, so here's the article. The front cover of Wednesday's edition of the French satirical magazine Charlie Hebdo, the first since last week's attack on its Paris office that left 12 people dead, is a cartoon of the Prophet Muhammad. The cover shows the Prophet shedding a tear and holding up a sign reading Je suis Charlie in sympathy with the dead journalists. The headline says, All is forgiven, tout est pardonné. Zineb El Razoui, a surviving columnist at Charlie Hebdo magazine who worked on the new issue, said the cover was a call to forgive the terrorists who murdered her colleagues last week, saying she did not feel hate towards Sharif and Saeed Kouachi despite their deadly attack on the magazine and urged Muslims to accept humor. Quote, we don't feel any hate to them. We know that the struggle is not with them as people, but the struggle is with an ideology, she told BBC Radio 4's Today program. I find this absolutely stunning. I'm always blown away, as people who listen to this show know, when anybody is able to summon the incredible mercy and grace that comes with forgiveness. And um, I've put plugs in, but I'll put them in again for the book's Amish Grace, about the school shooting in Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania, and also the book Forgiving the Dead Man Walking, which is about a woman who was abducted and raped and um, watched her boyfriend get killed. And, uh, yeah, they, they all found ways to forgive people. And I just think that's an amazing lesson to us all. And then speaking of the hypocrisy thing that uh, Jeremy Scahill was mentioning, there's this new uh, element that some people have talked about, and I want to share it with you as well. French arrests draw charges of free speech hypocrisy. And this is from CBS News. In the debate over freedom of expression, what makes one form a fundamental right and another a crime? That question has taken on particular meaning in the week following the Paris terror attack on the satirical paper Charlie Hebdo, which has seen both an enormous rally in support of free speech and scores arrested by French authorities for hate speech and defending terror. Terrorism. The crackdown by French authorities, including the arrest of a controversial French comedian for comments he posted on Facebook, has sparked a backlash among some free speech advocates who see, quote, cherry picking in the application of laws surrounding speech. Quote, what I would say is on occasion those laws are unevenly applied, said Karen Deutsch Karla Carr, who specializes in freedom of the press at Freedom House, a nonprofit that promotes freedom, democracy, and human rights. Quote, and certain people are charged or arrested or prosecuted under the laws and others are not. End quote. Compared with much of the rest of the world, France has broad protections for freedom of expression, but it also has tough laws against hate speech, including Holocaust denial and anti-Semitism, as well as a law making it cr a crime to condone acts of terrorism. The Associated Press reports 
reported that 54 people had been arrested on such charges as of Wednesday, none of whom had been linked to the violent attacks of last week. So the, I think it's really important for us to deeply, deeply consider the question of, well, then what is terrorism? And what does it mean when someone endorses an act of terrorism or, or expresses support or, you know, may not express the proper amount of contrition or, or anger toward the people who commit an act of terrorism? Because after all, you know, if 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 dropping bombs on innocent civilians with flying robots is, you know, wrong, it, what makes that different from an act of terrorism? Well, they're not trying to target innocent civilians. Okay, you know what? I'm sorry, but I find that to be a very specious line because we don't know anything about these flying robot attacks except what, you know, people on the ground report and, and the CIA doesn't ever say anything about it. So we're taking their word for it that they're not targeting innocent men, women, and children. And, you know, uh, life is a life and a killing is a killing, as Ali said. Um, so it's just, there's there's a lot of stuff going on here. And it seems on its surface, I think, and I think this is a point that Char, uh, Chinny was trying to make, hopefully. I don't, need, I don't need to speak for him, but but I do want to expand on this point. It seems on the surface like freedom of speech is this very obvious, basic thing. And most of us, you know, we, we have the 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 personal foundation of confidence and uh, social standing to, to laugh off an insult or to, to shrug off this notion that like, well, you, you know, sticks and stones. But for a lot of people, it's, it's not that simple, right? And I think that is a form of privilege that comes with this notion of like, well, come on, you got to be able to take a joke, right? And I think that when, once we get down to it, you know, should hate, law speech, should hate speech laws exist? Well, you know, I, I'm not sure how I feel about that because I don't like the idea of people having access to airwaves and just trumpeting hogwash all day long, especially if it's hateful and, and, and has a, a horrible impact on, you know, especially young people of, of minority groups or transgender individuals or whatever. Um, but on the other hand, I, I don't like the idea of criminalizing people saying stupid things. I think there ought to be other ways of us responding as a society to people saying stupid things. And I certainly think that it's important for us to ask the question, okay, how are these laws applied? And is there some hypocrisy when it comes to people saying, as Ginny pointed out, people saying things against Jews, well, that's not going to be tolerated for five seconds. But as soon as you want to make fun of Muslims, well, okay, then it's okay. And, and it works the other way, too. I've seen posts online which point out that a lot of media in majority Muslim countries have horrible depictions of Jews as hook noses and, you know, gold-clutching bankers and all these hideous stereotypes and really sick, depraved drawings. But then anytime you mention anything about Islam, oh, God, here you go. We're going to have to fight. So there's there can't be two standards. We're going to have to, you know, as, as individuals and as a society, decide what's our standard and then em employ that one standard. There's a lot more, obviously, we could say about Charlie Hebdo, and if you have thoughts about it, please do get in touch. You can email me at esp at fbesp.org, or you can tweet me at DukeScath, and we can continue this conversation in future episodes. Moving on, though, uh, there's a really interesting piece in The Guardian called Albert Camus' The Plague, A Story for Our and All Times. And it's I love this novel. Uh, for those who don't know, Albert Camus was a... Um, he was born in Algeria, and then he, but he was French, and he, I don't know how long he lived in Algeria, but uh, he certainly had kind of a split identity as a French Algerian uh, or an Algerian French person. Anyway, uh, my favorite book of his is called *The Fall*, which is just amazing. Uh, very complicated. I can't really get into it now, but uh, *The Plague* is also a great book of his because it deals with um, 
this doctor who is in this city, which is being overrun by a plague, and he has to decide, am I going to stay here and fight this disease, uh, knowing that it could be a risk to my own life, or am I going to go and save myself and leave these people to die? So here's this article. Of all Camus' novels, none has described man's confrontation and cohabitation with death so vividly and on such an epic scale as La Peste, translated as The Plague. Most of us read The Plague as teenagers, and we should all read it again. And again, for not only are all humankind's responses to death represented in it, but now, with the advent of Ebola, the book works on the literal as well as metaphorical level. Camus' story is that of a group of men defined by their gathering around and against the plague. In it, we encounter the courage, fear, and calculation that we read or hear in every story about West Africa's efforts to curtail and confront Ebola through its narrator, Dr. Rie, we can identify with the hundreds of Cuban doctors who went immediately to the plague's ground zero and those such as the Scottish nurse currently fighting for her life at the Royal Free Hospital for London, in London. I think Camus intended such a literal as well as allegorical reading. It is generally agreed that the pestilence he describes signifies the Third Reich, uh, writing in 1947 as the world whooped victory and never again. Albert Camus insisted that the next plague Plague, quote, would rouse up its rats again for the bane and enlightenment of men, end quote. But Camus was also aware of the great cholera epidemic in Oran, Algeria, where the novel is set, in 1849, and of others in his native district of Mondovi in the Algerian interior. So if you haven't read it, check it out. I also recommend Albert Camus' uh, Myth of Sisyphus, although the first part of it is really dense and gets into all this philosophical technicality stuff, uh, which is ironic because the opening of the, the whole treatise is there is only one truly serious philosophical question, and it is suicide. In other words, the meaning of life is the, the main question. Why keep living, right? To be or not to be. Um, but once he gets to the actual question of Sisyphus and how it has to do with our lives, uh, it really hits its stride. So I encourage people to check that out. I will thank Stu for sending me an article about fracking. Uh, this is from the BBC, and the headline is Anti-Fracking Leaflet Withdrawn After Vickers Accuracy Claim. Uh, an anti-fracking leaflet was withdrawn after its accuracy was questioned by a retired vicar, the advertising watchdog has confirmed. Uh, Reverend Michael Roberts complained to the Advertising Standards Authority... Y'all have an advertising standards authority in the UK? That's ridiculous. In the United States, we have no standards for advertising. You say whatever the hell you want. Um, so he complained about the leaflet by Residence Action on Filled Fracking. I guess filled is an area where there's fracking, or supposed to be fracking. The qualified geologist, who the vicar is apparently a qualified geologist, said the leaflet was scaremongering, but RAFF stood by the leaf said it stood by the leaflet's claims. The ASA said the case had been informally resolved. So they took the thing away. So I'd have no idea what's on this flyer, uh, but I hate fracking and it should not happen. So boo, vicar. Uh, but, you know, on the other hand, anti-fracking groups shouldn't be spreading nonsense. And finally, current events, uh, as 2014 wound to a close, Democracy Now! had a really cool uh, feature on their website, which was called the 20 Most Popular Docu Democracy Now! Interviews of 2014. And they include interviews with Edward Snowden, Matt Taibbi, Noam Chomsky, and Jeremy Scahill. And this is as good a time as any for me to shout out Eddie Pepitone's podcast, Pep Talks, which is always entertaining, and I really encourage you to check out Eddie Pepitone. He's a funny comedian, um, and he has a podcast. And I I'm pretty sure the last two or three episodes Episodes, he's mentioned Noam Chomsky, which is just awesome. I always love people talking about Noam Chomsky. And uh, he also mentioned Neil Hamburger in his last episode. So any podcast that can talk about Noam Chomsky and Neil Hamburger in the same show, that's just beautiful. And now it's time for some economics news. Respect, 
the State of the Union address recently. The President of the United States always gives this State of the Union speech. And uh, it, it's always such a surreal experience. Someone I saw some headline that said, uh, State of the Union has become a reality TV show, which I think is a great way to put it because everyone's on camera and everyone's sort of doing what they do because they have, you know, the President will say like 30 things that will get standing ovations. That's just silly. That, they don't mean anything anymore at that point. Because the Democrats all stand up when he says something they like, and the Republicans all sit there, and maybe they'll applaud, but mostly they won't. And it's all just this very silly process. So uh, I just, the whole State of the Union thing. But the reason I mention it with regard to economics is because we're, the United States is supposedly in this recovery, and the recovery is doing well for Wall Street, and supposedly there are jobs being created, but people in on Main Street, quote-unquote, you know, voters... They're not feeling it. Most people aren't feeling the effects of this recovery. And I know that for me, our stupid governor, sorry, our governor is not doing good things. I shouldn't call people stupid, especially whatever. Anyway, um, he's made life much more difficult for teachers. And so we haven't been feeling the effects of any recovery. In fact, our wages have been stagnant recently. And my school district's involved in this whole crazy foo for all. But whatever. The point is that most people aren't feeling the effects of the recovery. But here's the irony. The idea that you're going to have more economic relief coming to you by voting for Republicans is just insane. It, it's just as insane as saying, well, the Trans-Pacific Partnership is going to help the ordinary working person. Because it, the, 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 the economy, the crisis of wages, the, the fact that real wages for workers in this country hasn't gone up in the last 30 years. That's a problem of capitalism. We've had Democrats and Republicans, and we had, you know, boom and bust, and we've had recovery and recession, and, and it's cut across party lines because both parties are enthralled to this free market fundamentalist perspective which says that let the corporations do whatever they want and if workers don't gain in you know proportion to the wealthy well that's just because they need to get more training and that's a myth that's not the way it works and i'm so sick of hearing about like well the republicans will bring needed change or if the more cynical reporters will say well you know republicans won't really change anything but people feel like they will so they vote for the republicans it's ridiculous if we have real journalists they would come on and say Look, Democrats aren't really changing anything. Republicans aren't really changing anything. Maybe we need some different political parties in this country so we could really get some real change. Ah! Anyway, that's not why y'all tuned in. You turned in, you tuned in, you turned in and you tuned in in order to hear about high frequency trading. Yeah. And that brings us to Joseph Stiglitz. Uh, Nobel laureate Joseph Stiglitz blocked from SEC panel after faulting high speed traders. Oh, snap. Uh, Joseph Stiglitz, the Nobel laureate economist who called for a tax on high-frequency trading, has been blocked from a government panel that will advise regulators on issues facing U.S. equity markets, according to people familiar with the matter. Stiglitz is... Oh, no, second, first of all, Joseph Stiglitz is awesome. He was a consultant to the World uh, Monet International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, uh, and he went rogue in the late 90s by talking about these structural adjustment programs that the IMF imposes on struggling countries. If you want to know about how the IMF affects third-world countries... Uh, uh, check out a movie called Life and Debt, which is about Jamaica and how the IMF um, affected their economy. That's a good, nice, neutral way to say it. Uh, basically screwed their economy over. And the structural adjustment programs, and ha it has everything to do with trade agreements like the Trans-Pacific Partnership because it gives all the power to the wealthy countries and the poor countries have to then just suck all bub and the workers in the rich countries also don't do well and blah, 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 blah. Anyway... 
Stiglitz's rejection shows the partisan infighting that has bogged down Securities and Exchange Commission Chair Mary Jo White's plan to set up a panel of experts to advise the agency on topics ranging from rapid-fire stock trading to dark pools. Republican Commissioner Daniel Gallagher opposed Stiglitz's nomination in recent weeks as White sought to complete the list of participants, mainly by smashing watermelons in front of the commission. That's a joke. He didn't do that. The funny, the reason that's funny is because there's a comedian named Gallagher who smashes watermelons and stuff. Anyway, um, Democratic Commissioner Louis Aguilar had pushed for Stiglitz, who has said high-frequency trading isn't good for financial markets and should be curbed, possibly through a tax. Quote, I think they may not have felt comfortable with someone who is not in one way or another owned by the industry, Stiglitz said in a phone interview. Oh, snap. No, it didn't. Shots fired. Later in the article, the panel is expected to include representatives of Wall Street brokerage firms. <laughs> so they'll let the brokerage firm workers, the representatives from the, really, you're going to let Wall Street bigwigs in, but you won't let in a Nobel Prize winning economist who knows what he's talking about just because he said maybe we should tax high frequency trading. Unbelievable. This is why we don't have any regulation on this stuff. And the panel will also include academic researchers. IEX Corp. Chief Executive Officer Brad Katsuyama and former Senator Ted Kaufman of Delaware are expected to be named to the panel. Two people with knowledge of the matter said Katsuyama garnered attention as a key figure in Flash Boys, Michael Lewis's 2014 book about high-frequency trading. He started the IEX trading platform with the aim of leveling the playing field for investors by curbing the pace of buying and selling, eliminating opportunities for the fastest firms to trade in front of slower ones. He has said the government should consider forcing greater transparency of trading venues' operations. Later in the article, a former chief economist of the World Bank, Stiglitz argued in April speech that high-frequency trading can make markets less efficient while driving other investors to cloak their orders by placing them away from exchanges using dark pools, leading to less transparency. And as uh, Robert Wolf said, or Richard Wolf said in his podcast, Economic Update, which is also excellent, everybody should listen to that, um, the idea of a tax, he was talking about the Robin Hood tax, uh, but it's true probably about the high-frequency trade tax, is that if you impose such a tax, People might just do their trading elsewhere. So they might go to the Japanese markets or the European markets or whatever it is. So the, the answer then is to have a global way of dealing with these high-frequency trading leeches. Because that's what they are. They're leeches. They're leeching off all of us. And this is the part nobody ever talks about. Turning all the trading of stocks and equity and futures and bonds and all the rest of it over to crazy robots is not healthy for our economy. But we can't talk about that because that's just, I'm a Luddite when I say that. And finally, in economic news, in the very boring good news file, SEC brings third high-frequency trading case in four days. The SEC is going crazy. The Securities and Exchange Commission on Thursday announced its third case in four days over alleged high-frequency trading abuses, this time charging UBS with not disclosing an order type that allowed some traders to jump ahead of others. You hear that? That's the sound of hundreds of people bashing their heads in on their steering wheels because they're listening to this while driving, and I just put them all to sleep. I know what you're saying. Piotrowski, come on, get serious. You don't have hundreds of people listening in. Okay, fine, dozens. Maybe not even that. Three people, fine. The SEC said UBS, 
has agreed to pay $14.4 million to settle disclosure and other violations on the operation and marketing of its dark pool. The $12 million penalty is the largest the SEC has assessed to an alternative trading system operator, and UBS also disgorged profits and paid interest. <laughs> I love the idea of disgorging profit. That's like vomiting, basically. <laughs> there go my profits. Ooh. And by the way, $12 million penalty? Trust me, UBS looks at that. I mean, they find that in the cushions of their couch. Come on, people. All right, let's talk about some education. Now, I should start with talking about Wisconsin because Wisconsin's got this whole stupid new thing proposed by the state legislature about, well, we should have harsh accountability measures on schools and we should give each school a letter grade. And first of all, we kind of already do that. There's this report card that goes out across the state right now. But the new thing that they're trying to do is uh, if, if schools don't suddenly turn everything around and produce graduates who are just as good as private schools where they have four people per class, well, then the school's going to be turned into a charter school. And we saw what happened in Louisiana after Katrina and charter schools down there. They had the kids listening to records from 1973 about the Bible. So that's what will happen with our charter schools. Woo boy. Um, anyway, so I'm opposed to that. And I wrote to the newspaper here and they didn't print my letter because I'm too extreme for the man. He can't handle what I'm putting down. They published other letters about that, but not mine. It's a conspiracy, man. I'm telling you. And I had a student recently who was like, who is the man, Mr. P? I was talking about the man. And I'm like, you know the man. And they're like, and this one student goes, well, shouldn't you say the man because it's more than one person? And I was like, yes, but see, the nature of simplification for the purpose of comedic and conceptual reductionism is the blah, 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 blah. I'm going to try working next semester on sort of curbing my ego a little bit and maybe not talking in such complex ways to students because the one thing I never want to do with young people is dumb myself down I think that educators ought to be lifting people up and demanding that people sort of step their game up but I think I, I kind of lose people sometimes if I start spouting off with words that I know they don't know now I'm not going to totally cut those out because you know what channel live said I reveal the deal I'm something like a revelator if it's over your head get you behind on the elevator and that's how I feel but um I also don't want people to be like, oh, I'm not going to listen to him because he talks in a way that I never will understand. So it's a balancing act, man. It's a balancing act. Anyway, let's talk about Jeb Bush. Uh, <laughs> Jeb Bush severs board memberships ahead of possible White House run. Now, for those who don't live in the United States, let me explain. When people run for president these days, they don't just run for president. They have this arcane, ludicrous process whereby they announce an exploratory committee and then they investigate whether there's interest out there and and it's this stupid balancing act because they have to try to get people to give them money but they can't jump right in because I actually don't know why people can't jump right in and just say I'm running for president I guess they don't want to look stupid if they end up not running or they don't do well early on or whatever there's all this stupid timing nonsense that goes on so anyway jeb bush is going to be running for president there's no question about it and so this article talks about that and it relates to education calm down we're getting to the education part former florida governor jeb bush moving closer to a passable presidential run has stepped down as a paid advisor to a for-profit education company that sells online courses to public university students in exchange for a share of their tuition payments late on december 31st a bush aide told the washington post that the former governor had stepped down from all his business and nonprofit board memberships including the chairmanship of his education foundation effective today 
Um, he's trying to distance himself from Mitt Romney. His business portfolio is far smaller than that of Mr. Romney. And Mitt, Mitt Romney's talking about he's going to run again, which I just find amazing. I thought you weren't allowed to run again after you ran. That's like Walter Mondale being like, I'm going to run for president in 1988. And it's like, dude, you won one state. No, you know, sit, stay, uh, Mondale. Um, yeah, Mr. Bush announced last month he was ending his consulting relationship with Barclays, the British investment banking conglomerate, which also tried to defraud my friend Chinny there uh, by sending him fraudulent debit cards. It actually wasn't Barclays, but somebody was trying to scam him through Barclays or whatever. Anyway, the New York Times reported in May that the company Barclays paid Bush more than $1 million a year for what? God, I can lie to Barclays just like Bush can. Come on, give me a break. That's ridiculous. All right, we're moving right along here, people. Let's talk about some killer robots. Finally, robotic beings rule the world. The humans are dead. The humans are dead. The humans are dead. They look like they're dead. It had to be done. I'll just confirm that they're dead. So that we can have fun. Affirmative. I poked one. It was dead. The Mythbusters test the science of the Simpsons. Uh, this, thank you, Jason. Uh, Mythbusters, uh, has this show where they test things and... I'm Naomi Kyle yeah. and this is... Here's some video from IGN. I don't know why I didn't just queue up the actual Mythbusters promo. IGN News. When Mythbusters returns on January 10th for its new season on Discovery, it will be without the Bill team as Tori Belaichi, Carrie Byron, and Grant Imahara are now gone from the series, which leaves Adam Sandler. I have no idea who any of these people are. I've actually never watched Mythbusters. I love when students come to me and they go, you know, I'll say something like, oh, that doesn't happen. And they go, no, I was on Mythbusters! Because I don't know anything about the show, so I have no idea if it's reliable or not. But, you know, I, I understand that there's scientists trying to actually do things in a lab, and, you know, they're trying to make it fun for people so they mix in pop culture and whatever. And Jamie Heineman as the... All right, whatever. Where's the Simpsons? Let's have Simpsons... To okay, here we go. Here's the actual promo from Mythbusters. IGN News, you're worthless to me. Let's have this Simpsons trailer, Mythbusters. They're cutting apart something that looks like Homer Simpson. I have to narrate because there's no... You know, it's just exciting music. They're basically making Homer Simpson out of foam and wood and stuff. And you can't really tell what it is at first, but then it becomes clear that it's Homer Simpson. And they make this 3D Homer Simpson, which is weird, because anytime the Simpsons go 3D, it just doesn't look right. I mean, they kind of do it sometimes, like tapped out, okay. Kind of comes to life when you do that. And ta-da! There we go. And so what they're doing is they're putting Homer... Uh, in the movie, there's this scene where he's up against the wrecking ball, and they hit him against the house. And I guess they're going to say, like, what would happen to a person if they actually had that happen to... Which I don't understand what person looks at that and goes, I wonder what would actually happen in real life if that were to take place. Who's this? It's Al Jean. Oh. Al Jean, he's one of the producers of The Simpsons. He's awesome. Oh. Fire in the bowl. Oh. And you know it's hardcore because of this drum music. <laughs> what are we doing? One, go. Okay, so one of the things they did was they're going to test the... Um, oh, wait. Um, the, t uh, no, I thought I was going to read to the thing. Yeah, whatever. This is about how they make the show. Where is it? Come on. So they're going to, um, talk about the Simpsons. And, and one of the things they're doing is testing Bart's cherry bomb in the toilet thing. Uh, we're not going to do something like how many donuts Homer can eat because Homer's fictional, but we felt we have built a reasonable ep episode to explore some genuine science in there. 
Um, yeah, they don't really mention what... Oh, yeah. Uh, no one really needs to know whether or not the toilets in Springfield exploded when Bart throws a cherry bomb, but the idea of what you think might happen with what will actually happen is the tension that builds every narrative of every Mythbusters episode, and there's a genuine, we're not sure what's going to happen, so let's try it out. So they throw a cherry bomb in the toilet system. And... All right, go! Look, the toilet's exploding. Homer versus the Wrecking Ball. And again, Homer versus the Wrecking Ball. So that's interesting. I, you know, if I could get access to that episode somehow, we don't have cable, so I don't really know. But I'd be interested in watching that, I suppose. A lot of times when people try to comment on The Simpsons, it doesn't always work very well. You know, it, it kind of feels like they're trying to piggyback on the popularity of The Simpsons. It certainly does feel that way when I use them in my class. Uh, and the book, The Philosophy of the Simpsons, is kind of hit and miss, kind of like every book about philosophy of name of pop culture franchise. Uh, there's a book about the philosophy of Watchmen, which mostly says, well, Rorschach takes kind of a Kantian philosophy. And blah, 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 blah. I don't remember if it's Kantian or not. So don't write in being like, hey, technically, me, me, me. Uh, that's my job is to be that guy. Right, Jen Kirkman? So, anyway, the point is that, uh, you know, this is just a way for them to do some science, and they're kind of using The Simpsons on top of it, but whatever, that's fine. I'm kind of curious. I, I would like to watch it, but... I, uh, uh, let's talk about some hip-hop. Uh, one, two, one, two, uh, uh, stuff to talk about but I don't have time to talk about all of it because I got a video that John Mouse sent me and I'm going to play a little bit of that And but Lupe Fiasco just came out with a new album and it's really good I encourage people to check it out uh, the, 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 one of the singles is called Deliver which is uh, the, the chorus says uh, Pizza Man don't come here no more and it's sort of using this idea of the Pizza Man not coming to the neighborhood as a synecdoche if you will for a representation of all the things that are wrong with the neighborhood uh, some of them outside factors some of them factors from within and uh his first song, Mural, is just unbelievable. I will play that for you next time. But in the meantime, you can go ahead and just check that out. And I am not avoiding the Radio Lab discussion that I'm going to have one of these days about hip-hop because uh, I hate that episode, but I just I'm, I want to make it... I, I'm going to have to make that an episode unto itself. So... That's coming one of these days. But first, uh, John Mouse, thank you for sending me this Chameleon Air song called Don't Shoot, which came out. It was posted by this person on YouTube uh, on September 24th, 2013. So I think this is before the uh, Michael Brown shooting. But in any case, it's a really good piece um, about the prevalence of gun violence and especially about what hip-hop does to promote gun violence and negative thinking about the hype and stuff like that. So let me just play a little bit of it. His homie showed him how to package right Ironically, he's never grabbed a mic But they be calling everybody rappers, right? His family rich, but he be acting like He wanna leave it all to live the ratchet life You acting like you wanna sacrifice your whole life Did you believe the rapper hype? Impressing who? Does this even equal success to you? If it do Are you a vegetable? Are you an idiot or intellectual? I've seen many people and many G's That did plenty crimes that they'll never do Your favorite rapper ain't in the streets He had a nice hotel or at a festival Stop watching WCW Cause real life is something like MMA See they complain about NSA But they snitching on themselves every day You got you fools, you got snitchograms, you got crime lines what else? Face crooks, posting pictures from the trap house To show they hustle harder than an ace hook And that's true Come on, can't you see the feds watching? Do you think that your car logs are the only thing that they're clocking? I really try to keep to myself and keep getting caught up in all the hype. I hope the feds don't kick down your door with them weapons out. How y'all sounding like? Don't shoot. Don't shoot. Don't get blown away. Don't shoot. 
get blown away. Don't shoot, don't shoot, don't shoot. Cause missiles only say now, I've never been a big Chameleonaire fan. Uh, I never literally listened to a lot of his music. I, I know that on the 30 Rock, one of the first storylines between Jack and Liz had to do with him getting her Chameleonaire tickets. Um, but whatever, that song is good, and I have some new respect for Chameleonaire now because, you know, it's not until I hear someone spitting truth on something that goes beyond just getting money and wilding out in the club that uh, really helps me to say, okay, you know what? Maybe I've not given this person a fair listen. So maybe I should listen to more Chameleonaire. Maybe I should. Maybe next w- t- next episode, I almost said next week, maybe next episode I'll be coming back going, Chameleonaire, what, what, yeah! But probably not. Anyway, uh, it's time for the quote of the week. Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. Stop repenting because the ending is near. But don't panic, you can't function if you live in fear. Pay attention, you gotta listen to hear. I should just call this like food for thought or something or like an interesting quote because it's not quote of the week. Whatever. Haile Selassie was uh, an emperor of Ethiopia in the middle of the 20th century. He was born in 1892 and died in 1975. He is revered by Rastafarians as the second coming of the Messiah. Like literally, he is considered... Uh, a divine being. Uh, anyway, uh, he once said, quote, Education is a means of sharpening the mind of man both spiritually and intellectually. It is a two-edged sword that can be used either for the progress of mankind or for its destruction. That is why it has been our constant desire and endeavor to develop our education for the benefit of mankind. End quote. Amen, dude. I wanted an education quote for the start of second semester. And that's it, people. Show notes and links to everything in this podcast are on my blog, Didactic Synapse, which is at fbesp.org slash synapse, S-Y-N-A-P-S-E. My website is The Floating Brain of Eric S. Piotrowski, which is at fbesp.org. It has links to music I've made and fiction I've written and multimedia I've made and lots of other stuff. Shoutouts this week to you, the listener, for uh, letting me into your life and your ears. Shout out to John Mouse for the stories and the video. Shout out to IP for the tweets. Shout out to Jason Gallagher for the news article shout out to Stu for the other news article shout out to Chinny for being my second guest ever and shout out to the Duchess for being awesome and putting up with me and being so great and I don't have a lot of time to edit this thing so I apologize if there's dumb stuff I forgot to cut out I'm a very busy man deal with it listen I don't have time to play with the phone here I got a lot of stuff I gotta get done thank you for listening people please get in touch with feedback or questions you can email me at esp at fbesp.org or you can tweet me at Duke Scath I will stop talking now Turn on, tune in, break out Didactic Syncast is a production of the floating brain of Eric S. Piotrowski, which is solely responsible for its content. This program is a joint venture of Ribonucleic Records and Garrison Multimedia. Our show is made possible by a grant from the Fargus Foundation. Some restrictions may apply. See SOAR for details. Fight the power. So powerful. You know, after talking for an hour straight, I kind of wish I could just be like, boop, upload, and it's done. But I can't. I got to edit it. I got to add the links. And I got to, you know, post the thing and update the feed and all that. And I do it all manually, so it takes a little longer than it would otherwise. And, and it's not a huge deal, but it's just the type of thing where I wish I could just be done right now. But I know if I don't do it right now, I won't, won't do it for a week or a month or whatever. So I got to do it right now. So all I'm saying is I really hope y'all appreciate all the work that I put into this because I, I'm a busy man. I got Dota 2. I mean, I have things I need to do. Uh, I actually do need to work on my presentation for the Writers Institute 
But first, I got to post this. So you're welcome. <laughs>